Now, if you think about, if you think about our email accounts, whether it's a Yahoo, Hotmail, or a Gmail, um, they're all tied to different services, whether it's Netflix, PayPal, Amazon. Um, so if they're ever compromised, then a threat actor has access to a lot of your uh, account relationships on, online. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Bloomex Podcast. Uh, thank you again for MCRO for sponsoring this episode. You guys have been doing a great job on continuing to support us in the community we're trying to, uh, trying to build. Uh, MCRO, if you guys are ever looking for any programming help, uh, building apps, software, definitely hit them up. They're super uh, responsive, LinkedIn and um, other channels. And also, again, thank you for Huddle for having us here at this beautiful space uh, and filming out of, uh, out of the conference room. Um, shout out to you guys. All right, you're here with Mick. Mick from IMI Authentications. That's correct. Right, so you specialize in two-factor authentication, but uh, regular all-around cybersecurity guy. Yeah, so we have a, uh, a two-factor authentication service, and uh, it's pretty agnostic in the sense that it can be applied anywhere from enterprise side to customer side, and we're mm -hmm. really excited with what we've got. Perfect. Sorry, I shouldn't have called you a regular all-around cybersecurity guy. You're kind of like an expert in this kind of field. And yeah. um, first time we met, your first thing was to give us advice about cybersecurity, which I appreciate it, right? Because we don't talk about it enough, right? Uh, and that's what I'm excited to have you on to talk a little bit more about your insight into this. We've Thank had you. only about one cybersecurity guy on before this. I think Matthew Human. And let's start with two-factor authentication. Yeah. Why is that important? Yeah, so two-factor authentication is, uh, is, is very important only because today most access to accounts or even networks are actually uh, require your username and your password and that's pretty easy to compromise. Mm. Um, I could take a deep dive or maybe just touch the service on how hackers actually try and get those credentials. Yeah. But if there's, a, if, if there's a solution such as multi-factor authentications or even two-factor authentications, they're used interchangeably depending on um, who's, uh, who's, who's providing it. But essentially any factor authentication service, um, it, it requires uh, a most often out of band authentication. So um, if you, for instance, if you go online banking or you go into a social media account, um, you probably have encountered an SMS based uh, message yep. that carries a six digit code that's referred to as a one-time passcode or an OTP. Um, but you need to apply that as a second level of, uh, of authenticating to prove that you are who you are. So it is important. Now the idea behind that is that hackers ideally shouldn't have access to the secondary device or the secondary channel. Mm. Uh, so it makes it difficult. So the, a, a hacker or a threat actor may in fact have your username and password, mm. but ideally, again, it'll be difficult for them to try and retrieve that second uh, level or that code. Yeah. Uh, so it is important, um, but we are seeing uh, over the last 18 to 24, maybe a little bit longer, 24 months or so, where hackers are certainly compromising the second level of authentication just because of the protocols or the channels it's being communicated via. Definitely. I mean, I started using two-factor authentication once a lot of sites, especially like banking websites mm -hmm. and uh, even like crypto websites now, right. um, they require that. They're the ones mm -hmm. that started pushing it actually, the crypto community mostly, yeah. um, just to prevent, just to have add a layer of security. But if they don't ask for it or require it, yeah. I would never, I wouldn't really go out of my way to uh, authenticate it. Yeah. Right. 
So what's interesting is uh, if you think of the companies that are actually pushing it, it's because you realize that there's a, there's a significant impact to the business, <coughs> yeah. whether it's customer impact or even their own business that's been impacted. Uh, once hackers get in, example, a, a wallet, a crypto wallet. Mm. Uh, if you imagine uh, a threat actor getting in, um, well, what's, what's, the, what's the recovery? What's the recourse for the customer? Mm. There really isn't too much. Money's gone. Yeah. So they try and um, push some level of uh, security just to prevent any unauthorized access into those accounts. Mm -hmm. And the same with the banks as well, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a financial hit to the banks. Um, if, if somebody breaks into, uh, into the bank checking account mm. um, and depending on the, the method, but even credit cards to some extent. So organizations that actually take a personal loss, that's, mm. it's really them who are driving. And of course now with all the data breaches that we've been hearing largely over the last 10 years, um, it's been a real drive to, to add in additional layers of security. So it's conversational. It's, uh, it's driven by news headlines, it's driven the, the notion for uh, second level or two-factor authentication add-ons. It's, uh, it's also being supported with uh, professionals, security experts, uh, media outlets really uh, advising consumers to, to incorporate a, another level. Mm. So it's, it's definitely needed and I certainly would uh, encourage everyone to do the same as well. Absolutely. I mean, was it born from the crypto industry when they knew, because such a high risk, high reward kind of industry, right? Yeah. That's where like, uh, that was where we really saw the push for two-factor authentication. Yeah, so two-factor authentication has been around for a while, <coughs> uh, even before uh, uh, crypto mm -hmm. currencies, wallets, blockchains uh, mm -hmm. emerged. Um, but I think there's been a particular surge um, mm -hmm. in the last uh, few years, which has been more or less in the same timeline as uh, cryptos as well. So yeah. I don't, I don't believe it's because of one vertical or one um, uh, industry that's driving it. It's just now coming to service that holy shit, we need to protect ourselves. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what other solutions? What are the solutions out there that can actually help? Having said that, uh, a few seconds ago I talked about how uh, hackers uh, have got away. A figured a way around it. So mm. one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share is, or at least uh, part knowledge with is, um, hackers will figure out what, what level of security are you using? So what type of uh, authentication service? And we saw this example actually with, uh, with Coinbase, uh, a crypto wallet where, um, they, a, a, an individual had his um, Gmail account tied in as a, as a username. So the guy had to get into the Gmail account in order to then get access to the wallet. But in a, various, in a very devious way, they uh, went about resetting the password on the Gmail account. Now the Gmail account actually had a second factor authentication setup, which was uh, SMS based. Mm. So the, uh, the threat actor actually used an application uh, called SS7 attack. It's uh, signal standard number seven, uh, or standard signal uh, number seven. Uh, essentially, this is a protocol that SMS um, messaging, the platform, uh, uses, but at a global level. So for instance, if I wanted to send a text message from here, Canada, to someone in South America, it's that one protocol that they're able to communicate the SMS text message through. So every, every payload of an SMS actually abides by SS7. So hackers actually figured out a way to compromise it. So in short, 
this, uh, it is possible, and the example that we, 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 we saw a few years ago was where a, uh, an attacker loaded up the application mm -hmm. and was able to snatch <coughs> and retrieve the SMS in transit before it got to the destined or to the original recipient. So, example, if it was my Gmail account, my phone wouldn't have buzzed at all. The hacker through his application would have retrieved it, took the six digits or the, the security passcode, one-time passcode, and in the example that they applied it then to resetting the password on the Gmail account. Sorry, the user, they got uh, the two-factor from SMS? Correct, correct. How, how would that happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's actually you know, a really good question. So yeah. there, there are many applications out there that can do lots of things. Mm. Uh, one of the main reasons that they're able to do that is because first and foremost, <coughs> SMS is traveling through an unsecured channel. Mm. It's cellular network and it's not secure at all. It's, it's not even encrypted. Uh, it's just a, a communication packet like, running out in the ether. We've heard of all these devices you can now buy from like kind of the, the dark, dark web marketplace yep. Yep. where that um, you can just get delivered to your door, like uh, something like a listener device, right? That can like search for data, yep. for Wi-Fi signals, yep. door locks, like the yep. NFC, um, even your, like your, your, um, for your cars. Yeah, right? absolutely. The, yeah. Uh, for the wireless for, for communication. Your, right? for, for the lock, the, the fob on, yeah. on locking your car, right. So, um, so it, it is possible. So in this case, it's just an application that's running. So mm -hmm. when the SMS is traveling now through a cellular network, an unsecure uh, protocol, uh, they're able to retrieve it. Um, and so what, this, what we saw in the example was that the hacker got the security code, was able to apply it to the Gmail account, was able to get in and reset the password on the Gmail account, and then went back to the crypto wallet account. Because the crypto wallet account was tied to the Gmail account, he then did a password reset on the crypto wallet account. He got the link on the Gmail account, reset the password, and then got full access to the crypto wallet account and cleaned it. This is, sorry, this is your crypto account. No, no, no. This is this, this is not a personal. Okay, okay. This is not a personal example. Okay. Uh, but this is an example that we've seen in the wild of, of stuff going on, yeah. right? So we talk about um, protecting accounts. We talk about. And is there any way to chase people down, like anyone who like? Um, I mean, the long and short of it is, it's maybe possible, but it's very difficult. Very difficult. Is there anyone attempting to do it, like? Can you go to someone like FBI or somebody? Yeah, so, so a lot of the law enforcement agents around the world, uh, here in Canada included as well, are monitoring these types of activities. Uh, but it all really depends on how, um, I'm going to use the word very loosely, but sloppy the, uh, the attacker is. Mm. So if they leave a breadcrumb trail, if they leave some kind of signature, um, something that would actually allow uh, an agent to maybe get suspicious and then, then, then start following up on that. Yeah. Uh, but for the, la for the large part of it, no, not really. It's once a hack is in, they empty the account, they're gone. Now, imagine you waking up on a Monday morning, on a given Monday morning, to find out that your wallet, crypto wallet, is, all, is cleaned out. It's, and then you find out that your Gmail account is locked up. Yeah. Now, if you, think about, if you think about our email accounts, whether it's a Yahoo, Hotmail, or a Gmail, um, they're all tied to different services, whether it's Netflix, PayPal, Amazon. Um, so if they're ever compromised, then a threat actor has access to a lot of your uh, account relationships on, online. Mm -hmm. um, so that could be disastrous as well. So you have to go back and you know, 
prove that it wasn't you uh, that made the transaction or that you were compromised. And so it's, it's, it's pretty much a nightmare. It's a big nightmare to mm. go through. Like, so it's curious to like find uh, if there's any way of people tracking things a little better, right? You talked about bread, breadcrumbs being left behind. Yeah. What can, what can these breadcrumbs look like to, to trace someone digitally? Like how does that look like? Yeah, it could be, uh, it could be uh, in the case of what I just uh, gave you as an example, there's probably not too much uh, that would be left behind. Maybe um, um, some kind of uh, device uh, ID or mm. some kind like of device. Like a MAC address. Or right, some kind of signature uh, about the device. But for the most part, these, uh, these threat actors in, in, in the example that I gave, literally get in, do the deed and get out. In the case of, uh, of a network attack, uh, there's lots of signatures that you would look for in, uh, in, a, in a malware, for instance, or a, or a code. So you would look for typically the, the style in which a code was written. And mm. there's actually now uh, a growing sort of uh, library that uh, law enforcement authorities use to, to identify that this perhaps looked like it was originated from this nation mm. or it originated from another nation. Um, but also that it probably is this type of um, hacker group or, or uh, um, so they, they do look for, uh, for signatures in the code as well as what other things were left behind. So mm. it could be uh, an association, it could be a username handle, um, and, but it's, it's really on, it, the information is available but you have to really, really, really comb through with a super kind, uh, super fine comb mm. to figure out what stands apart, what looks suspicious, what could we use. Um, but like I said earlier, it's possible, but it's also very, very difficult too. Mm. Um, like part of the issue here, of course, is the fact that because of nation state and, and boundaries and borders right. and different legal, uh, legal <clears throat> jurisdictions, um, it's easy to, it's kind of like the Wild West, right, the internet, where these hackers can lurk in different countries yep. and route to other countries. Yep. Um, is there any like cross-border, like, uh, like, I guess, cooperation in preventing this kind of behavior? Yeah, so a lot of the uh, law enforcement authorities, agents around the world are actually working together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a given. Uh, but one thing that I think is often underestimated and, and not really weighed in is that when you think of um, nefarious actors, threat mm -hmm. actors, hackers, they don't have a framework. They don't, they don't work within uh, guidelines of compliance, rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. It truly is the wild, wild west. I mean, I think you said it pretty well when you just started there. Um, they don't care. So whereas corporations uh, today, majority of corporations actually abide by compliance and industry regulations. So we kind of work within a framework. With hackers, they have unlimited resources, unlimited uh, cash, uh, dev or DevOps guys, um, engineers, coders, and they can go all out. And mm. we as industries have to really try and catch up with them. And when we catch up with them or we figure out what they do, we learn from that and then maybe we'll take that back to our policy making body and then we'll evolve our, evolve our regulatory requirements or, or uh, regs. But for the most part, we are playing cat and mouse and the, you know, they, they, they are uh, essentially, and I, and I use the word with a little bit of respect, but also a pinch of salt, they are way more brilliant 
Uh, and so because of their brilliance, we're actually evolving our understanding of what cybersecurity is, how vast and how dangerous the threat levels are. And so we're able to push the boundaries out a little bit more. Yeah. Right? So if, if a hacker got from uh, uh, point zero to point A, then we've learned that cybersecurity goes to point A and then they'll continue to point B, C, D, and then we'll start evolving our capability to those levels as well. But they're always leading the pack mm. and we're always chasing them behind trying to figure out, well, how do we prevent it? So we learn a lot of cybersecurity from the very fact that hackers quite masterfully um, create new attack forms. And it's, mm. uh, it's pretty impressive what they do. Right. And has there been any, any prominent cases where like someone's actually, hacker group's been caught? Or like found out? Yeah, so um, I think the, uh, I forget the guy's name actually. Um, mm. So when, um, when, when Yahoo was busted uh, a few years ago, oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the law enforcement authorities and agents in the US were digging deep to figure out what the heck happened and how did it get away? Sorry, this is Yahoo got hacked, right? Yeah, so a few years Your ago. Your bank account? Sorry again? Their bank account? Uh, no, so, so uh, there was, um, um, I'd, I'd have to go back and double check, it was a few years ago, but there was a few million accounts that were compromised. Oh yeah, okay, right? the data breach? Yeah, a data breach, yeah. So there was a, there was a few million accounts that were mm -hmm. taken down and, and, and stolen and stuff. Now, uh, from what I recall, the, the attack took place in 2014 and Yahoo did a pretty bad job on uh, addressing it and, and actually trying to resolve the situation. So they kept it quiet for a few years. And then it came to light. Uh, but at that point, the, the team that the uh, law enforcement authorities and agents identified was a, um, a state nation uh, group uh, originated out of Russia. So once they did their investigation, they drilled down, and this talks a little bit about how I mentioned earlier that it all really, really depends on the cleansiness and the execution of the attacker. If they're a little sloppy, then there's little breadcrumbs that you can actually investigate and follow up. But long and short of it, uh, and to answer your question, so they, they, they identified there was that young gentleman out of uh, Ontario who was part of the team of four uh, of hackers that actually took down Yahoo. And of course, then uh, law, law enforcement authorities here in Canada uh, arrested, apprehended that individual, and then he got extradited to the US and we don't know where he is now in the system. But to answer your question, yeah, so it is possible. Uh, a lot of hackers do get, so, some hackers do get caught and, uh, and some of them do get away. Um, but while they think they're getting away, um, law enforcement authorities and agents are actually doing their investigation. So at some point they may get picked up or they may not, but it's, so, it's a crime. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you talk about Yahoo, uh, I just remember a case, uh, there was a guy in Hamilton area who got busted, a Canadian guy, when he was, uh, I think, end of high school time, like this, is like, this is a few years ago, but he had hacked into Yahoo's bank account. That's the same guy I'm talking about. The same guy? Yeah, same guy. So he, he was actually withdrawing money from Yahoo, Yahoo, not just the data, right? Okay. Is that what he was, I, or what he sell the data? So, yeah, so they, so they extracted um, several million accounts, usernames, passwords, account information, mm -hmm. uh, sold it, um, or, or, or gave it to you know, the oh. project lead, whoever yeah. ran the, the initiative. 
But yeah, he got nabbed. He got picked up by the uh, by the police. Was he doing it uh, slowly over time, or was it a one-time grab? So it's, that's an interesting question. So um, the way hackers actually work, mm. if they're able to break into a network, they'll break in and they wouldn't want to stick around too long. They want to break in, do the deed and get out. Yeah. Uh, in other cases, if it's a complicated <coughs> network such as Yahoo, they'll break in and then they'll sit in the shadow. They'll sit in the network and they'll just start monitoring packets. They'll monitor traffic. They'll figure out who's talking to who, what are they communicating, what what files are moving across that I can actually uh, grab and see what, what's in the files, if it's mm. a value for me to take it to the next level. So imagine, um, as an example, somebody breaks into, um, into the back door of a building, a small window. They'll break in um, and they'll just sit and they'll figure out, okay, I want to get to that vault, so that vault's upstairs perhaps. So they'll understand the floor plan, yeah. right? And then they'll make their way in and then perhaps in the case of a, of a network breach, they'll, they'll perhaps drop my credentials because they use me to get into the network, uh, perhaps use your credentials because you have elevated access or privileged access. So once they get to a, to a, a victim, a target inside the network, mm. um, they'll use their credentials then to get access to the applications or, or database or service. And that's where the potential data breach would occur or a ransomware, which is something that we're seeing uh, becoming quite problematic these days, but essentially it's layered attacks. Mm. Um, if they're able to get directly to uh, to the treasure trove, they'll they'll extract the information and, and and leave immediately. But most often they'll sit there and do their reconnaissance. They'll figure out what's going on. So they, it's it's a very detailed study. It's a very detailed uh, effort that they they employ. Mm. Like I remember, I think it was a docu-series or something I was watching about this kind of uh, this kind of behavior so there's actually different like they're talking about layers of hacking right so some some people employ social hacking to get credentials right and then sell like a bunch of those online yeah another person will grab that and use that to breach the system correct once they breach the system they'll leave a bug in there and they'll sell that and someone goes there and moderates it correct and monitors that. sometimes these hacker groups form and they do it coordinated right. sometimes it's distributed these people just selling online yeah that's grabbing what's available that's and someone correct. will sit, sit on it and just read through it, right, yeah. and see what's going on. They find something, they sell that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like it's, a... It is, it is actually, in every essence, a, a dark economy, right? A mm. black economy. So uh, given the black market that it is, um, you'll go in, you'll, make, you'll, you'll do your activity, you'll drop a payload or you'll take it to the next level. And if that's, if that's, your, if that's your profession in, the, in that regard, then you've just done your, your duty and you've, you get paid for it. Yeah. Uh, but you take it all the way up uh, and do the data breach, that's where you get the most amount of money for... I mean, for this, seems like the uh, this seems like the new barbarians of the gate, right? Where the people are profiting, there's a whole economy behind it. Mm -hmm. As long as you, you can keep taking down people, right. but as long as the mechanism exists to, to monetize, people will come in. Yep. Right, yep. and it's just going to be a constant cycle of people, different people, try people breaking into this, yep. organizing differently, trying different structures. Right. Anyone who wants to break free from like the current, like the, the formal economy, right, right. Can, can, can delve into this, kind of. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a... Not uh, anybody, but I'm yeah, saying that's, like... That's, that's a heavy <laughs> question, if yeah. that's what you're asking. So, I mean, the, the truth is, uh, as I said earlier, it's, it really is an unregulated uh, universe, right? So, yeah, anybody 
mm. can get in in that. I mean, I'll, and I'll leave it there, but it's it's not restricted to. Uh, well, I'm talking to, about like uh, the skills that's requ required. Like some some people. And it is it is it is just that it is it's all dependent on your skill set, right? Yeah. So if you could do some really. Like you were talking earlier about social Damn. engineering, right? Right, using social engineering techniques to get credentials. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be your your part into this informal economy. Absolutely, not necessarily need to be technical hacking. Right, using your ability of understanding people. Right, to get information out of them. So, so that's a that's an interesting point that you make. Then I'll just pick up on that. So often when we hear about data breaches, where email accounts are being stolen, usernames, uh, passwords. So you imagine now, um, and I think the the quote that I'm about to share with you was from the first six months of last year, there was approximately uh, five billion accounts or thereabout that mm. were compromised worldwide. Yeah. Right. So that's in the first six months. From all the data breaches that happened around the world, five billion user accounts have been leaked and they're now sitting on uh, the, the deep web slash dark web. Mm. Um, but just to draw some context into it, as an average user, we have you know, multiple relationships with multiple online services, but we rotate very often, maybe for maybe up to five passwords. So what happens then is that if I have a, a password or a, or a login to a particular account and a hacker wants to get into it, they'll go through and they'll be able to start profiling, start building a profile. So there's, there's a guy called uh, Ravi, his, uh, he's got these accounts with these different services, but we see that the most popular four to five passwords are, are used or recycled. So there's a good chance that when we want to try and break into, let's say, his, um, his, uh, another account or perhaps even his work account, uh, there's, there's a slight chance that he's probably recycling uh, those passwords. If not, now you're able to build a profile. So you'll take that information that you've just bought from the deep or the dark web, and then you start social engineering um, the, the victim or the target. Mm. You go to their Facebook account, their LinkedIn account, their Instagram, Snap, whatever it may be, and you start building a profile. Now, of course, for someone um, uh, as a regular mm. Joe, John Doe, that, there may not be that, that much value in it. But if it's a high-profile executive, then certainly you know, that, that individual is going to have access to some very secure applications, uh, Was there is there any exposed cases like this where like a high profile profile person? Yeah, we hear about we hear about high profile executives getting compromised all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's coined under the term of whaling attack, okay. where uh, example a CFO or a CEO uh, may get a may get a, a spear phishing attack or an APT, but specifically a whaling attack where they where the threat actor really focuses a lot of time and energy on trying to compromise that individual. Um, and it comes in many different forms, and there's so many different examples. One example could be a suspicious email. Could be, um, it could be, uh, in fact, many examples again, but it could be a use of uh, deep fakes as well, right? Um, and when I talk about deep fakes, um, we are seeing in, in the cybersecurity space where high-profile executives, um, their voices are being footprinted or copied, duplicated, uh, through software, and they're used then to call into maybe their executive assistant or to the CFO to say, hey, look, you know, it's Mick here, um, and I need to have, I'm in the middle of a deal flow, and I need to have uh, $2 million sent immediately to, to this account. Now, of course, if, if you recognize my voice, and, and I'm actually calling you, you would believe, you would be led to believe that I am, in fact, the genuine person. But we have seen examples uh, up and coming where it is, in fact, software 
that's, uh, that's being used to, to replicate, duplicate the voice. Mm -hmm. Now the CFO of that organization or any other officer in the organization is being asked by management to send wire money over, that money's gone and I, as you know, the attacker would have access to that account, take the money and off they go. So we're seeing a lot of those types of attacks. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of whaling attacks and a whaling attack could be through, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a suspicious payload uh, in an email. Um, so when I click on the email, it perhaps releases a, a remote access Trojan or a remote access tool. So it sits on my machine. So it's now monitoring, uh, monitoring all sorts of behavior. Without sort of going down the rabbit hole of different types of attacks, and it really is a rabbit hole, I think the fundamental principle is to understand that if you're a person of interest in an organization, uh, the attacker will, will spend a considerable amount of time trying to compromise you. And once they're in, then they'll use your credentials to move around. Um, but also because of your privileged access, your elevated executive status, uh, you have access to multiple uh, uh, privileged directories, files, uh, even applications that they'll use to, to, to make their way into the, into the network. And I'll draw that, that analogy back to, you know, when you're breaking into a, when a, when a thief breaks into the house, they want to know the, the layout of the house. That's exactly what these uh, attackers do as well. Yeah, yeah. Very um, clever. Very yeah, cleverly done. I mean, absolutely. Like, the level of sophistication is available now because of all mm -hmm. these tools and the intricacy of how people can get interconnected right. in this like dark society, right? Like everyone thinks about the, the dark web and it's become more of a common phrase, but lately me and uh, the team here, we've been, turned, we've been talking a lot about the informal economy. Right? Mm -hmm. We got obsessed with this idea. We ran into this book, this TED talk, then the author's um, book, we started reading, into, reading mm -hmm. it. It's about, uh, have you heard of the term system D? Uh, yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I came across it recently, but it's an idea that we've, I've heard about here and there. And um, lately, this book, the guy who coined it, his book, reading it and talking about it, says that the informal economy, right, the economy that is not captured by the regular economy, aka tax paying, mm -hmm. the tax paying economy, right, mm -hmm. which is regulated mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, actually uh, measured mm -hmm. through technological activity, through bank accounts and all that. The stuff that happens inside, mostly by cash or crypto or like right. other, kind of, uh, other kind of ways of payments. Um, in globally equates up to ten trillion dollars. Yeah, and probably more actually. Yeah, probably more because it is as I, as we talked about already. It's unregulated. It's not. Mm. It's not monitored. It's not. Uh, it's not following. Um, you know the normal industry or economic protocol. Mm. Um, but it's it's um, it's unregulated. So whatever goes on underneath the table stays underneath the table yeah. and anything that happens above board is uh, you know regulated or is taxed or is levied uh, but yeah it's it's probably there or a little bit more than that amount but clumped into this into this whole system d is also like you know the third world like um shop owner that's sitting by on a stoop and selling something yep right by cash like yep. this this whole system like the way they call is the author calls it system d is like Yes, the, the criminal activity, the high-tech community, the, 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 the third world, like mm -hmm. still um, like archaic methods of, uh, of, of um, commerce, mm -hmm. right? The, from people who doesn't have infrastructure to people who have the infrastructure, right. like it's intertwined almost, right. where these funds and resources and things kind of shift within this. Right. And it's almost like understanding the size and scale of this mm -hmm. 
and now that knowing that technology can connect these kind of barriers, mm -hmm. it's almost like, a, like it's potential for a whole different like economy to exist. Like a, like a, you know. Yeah, and and to be fair, that's been around for centuries, right? Mm. So in, you look for a mechanism that's uh, non-traceable, cash, mm -hmm. right? So back in the days and still today, uh, cash is king, and it's easy to use. You have it in your wallet. You make the transaction, but there's no trace. Yeah. Um, and we have seen uh, a sizable shift to now crypto or to digital cash, which is, um, so, so cryptocurrencies is allegedly non-traceable, although we have started seeing an example, some examples where it is in fact traceable because of, again, maybe some breadcrumbs that have been left behind by uh, uh, threat actors or, or, or users of uh, cryptocurrency. But think of it from uh, think of it from a standpoint of even panhandlers, right? We have panhandlers across major metropolitan cities around the world. If you're giving them a coin, that's not taxed. If you, if they're collecting change on the street, that's not taxed. It's direct cash in their pocket, um, all the way to uh, to people working under the table uh, illegally, um, cash payment under the table kind of thing. So yeah, cash by far by far is untraceable. Um, and anything that's above within the confines of a regulation or, or a job um, role, again, following the, the regulated economy, that's all, uh, that's all traceable. That's mm. all uh, taxed and levied. Um, but when you, when you kind of reach over to, uh, to, to the dark uh, web or the deep web, yeah, they, they do make uh, transactions obviously now with, with crypto, cryptocurrency, and that's, for the most part, that's untraceable. Um, and yeah, the economy's thriving, it's, it's big, um, it's dangerous, it's dark, it's, it's not a good place to, to even visit if you were curious, stay away from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is, it is uh, yeah, it's, it's... What do you mean big. by stay away from it? Like? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, I think there's a psychological aspect of realizing exactly what goes on, right? So from um, human trafficking, uh, the, 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 the different trades and industries, um, it's, it's quite shocking to see. Now, I haven't gone and, and had a look myself. I don't think I, I really am interested in seeing what's going on based on the fact that I hear a lot of things, so I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with that. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, one, it's a psychological impact. Uh, the other thing is also that it's not just a case of getting in and getting out. Mm. Yeah, if anyone was to visit the dark web or the Tor browser, uh, you got to make sure that um, you're using uh, um, burned uh, or burnout um, uh, e uh, um, emails, addresses, IDs. You don't want it to be traced back to you. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's more effort than it's worth. Um, yeah, so it's it's not a nice place to be. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Um, cool. Let's, let's, let's go back to what you're doing, right? Like yeah. two-factor authentication. Let's um, let's bring up your site. Right yeah, there, sure. if, uh, you can bring that up. And how are you playing a part in this? So this is IMI. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how are you different, and what do you do differently? Yeah. No, I really appreciate the question. So we have actually created a very different two-factor authentication. Um, for the most part, a lot of other companies actually collect your information in order to provide the service. Mm. Uh, so think of, um, in fact, out of respect, I won't mention any companies, but all of the major players in the space, they actually require your attributes of your information. So first name, last name, 
email address, telephone number, or mobile number. Yeah. Uh, and that way they're able to identify, um, it, identify you in the authentication step, but also how to reach out to you. So what we actually do, we tokenize the, uh, the profile of the user and we encrypt it. And uh, in, our, in, our, in our entire, in, 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 in the entire stack, we don't have any information of the user at all. Um, in the industry, it's called PII, personally identifiable information. We actually, again, tokenize that um, and then we encrypt it. So it, one, we're incredibly safe or safer than, than anyone else. But even just some of the secret sources in what we have, it's, uh, it's head and shoulders above everyone else. Um, what you see on the screen are some of the examples of how hackers can actually break into um, your accounts, whether it's login credentials, there's, there's a, a list there on the, um, on the far left and if you go to the middle there's examples of, uh, thank you, there's examples of uh, password vulnerabilities um, and if you go to the far right you can see some of the, uh, some of the ways that actually uh, hackers employ to, to try and figure out how to, to break in. Um, so in all of this, we take pride in the fact that even if uh, a threat actor actually knew your username and password, you have the means of actually prevent, preventing anyone breaking in. So you become the last gateway or the last, um, the last man at the post to say, nope, it's not me signing into my, uh, into my online banking account or my social media or even, and it goes across the gamut. Mm -hmm. um, so you're able to then identify, detect the uh, attack, identify, and then prevent the attacker from getting into the account in real time. And then so we have follow-up uh, capabilities following that as well. Yeah, I mean, you talked about how uh, two-factor authentication going through SMS isn't safe, going through email is not safe. Right, so, so, it's a great question. So yeah. we don't use SMS or email at all. Okay. Um, and we don't use one-time passcodes or OTPs. Uh, we have a very elegant push authentication, so it's app-based, it's data, um, it's backed or standing on data. Cool. So it's a, it's a, a push authentication that comes directly to um, an authentication page uh, that's integrated into the, uh, to the to, let's say as an example, it could be the bank's app or it could be your hospital network or it mm. could be your uh, university mobile app. So we, we provide mobile SDKs that allows the service provider to embed it into their existing mobile app. So uh, it's, uh, it's significantly more safer. All the user has to do is just simply go ahead and just touch it once on the screen. And that then determines the outcome of whether they are signing in or not signing in. So sorry, so it's like an app on it's, your, it's on your a phone? Yeah, it's a mobile, mobile app. app. So you click on it. Correct, but it's, it's, we're not pushing our mobile app. We're pushing the fact that this is an, uh, authentication done through the app. And then what separates us from everyone else in the marketplace is, aside from the, um, the tokenization aspect, which is a proprietary service of what we have, is that we also make it bespoke. So we will completely build it. So you're almost like customer. a white labeling service for? 100% white, white labeling service. For Absolutely. Else. Oh, so you're like a framework that people can utilize. Correct. If, uh, if you would kindly just scroll straight to the top of the page, actually, I'll, I'll show you exactly what it looks like. Um, here we go. So just there in the, in the circle, uh, this is just a framework mock-up, but um, it's owned by the, uh, the service provider. They can put in whatever messaging that they want. We have essentially just one-touch responses. So if somebody's signing into my account and I've A, identified it, detected it, uh, sorry, detected, identified it, and prevented it, um, 
and I'm able to do that all in real time, all I'd have to do is obviously somebody signing in, I would just go ahead and put, uh, hit cancel and then we would send a, a response code uh, through our architect, through our platform, um, back to the service provider and they would prevent access getting in. So the UI, like who provides the UI? Like can, is a client buying it, putting their own UI interface on? Right, so we provide a mobile SDK, this okay. essential framework on it, and they can build it up whichever way they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we do ask that uh, the, the fundamentals are there, which is the yes and no button. Uh, there's this timestamp on it as well they can brand this as they want to. So it's completely bespoke for them and cool. available for them to brand it. And uh, what do your competitors look like in this space? Uh, yeah, they're pretty big. Uh, they're pretty respectable competitors actually. Yeah. So, um, and we love our competitors, I just want to say that. Um, so we have um, Microsoft, um, Azure MFA, uh, we've got um, RSA, we've got Symantec, we've got Duo Cisco, uh, we've got uh, another number of other players, Authy, Centrify, mm. um, and the reason we actually respect them a great deal, aside from the fact that they are a competition, but they help us keep on our toes as well. So if they're doing something different, then we want to make sure that we can learn from that, um, but also we can perhaps generate that competitive edge as well. Yeah. So yeah, so this is available. It's available on iOS, Android as well. Um, there's absolutely nothing sitting on the app. Mm -hmm. um, it just is embedded into the uh, into this uh, cl uh, the client's end, uh, the service provider. So it could it could be available. To, uh, it, in fact, it is available for all industries, whether it's government, um, um, infrastructure services, um, banking, healthcare, education. Mm -hmm insurance, I mean, there's, there's really no industry that we, we can go out and help, aside from the dark web, right? Yeah. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna make it available there. But um, yeah, it's agnostic to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're really excited with what we've got. No, it's really cool. Um, I mean, I, I wanna press this issue a little bit. Like what, again, by differentiating, right? Yep. You talked about your technology being proprietary different. And is that, is that radically different from what's available in the market? It's, uh, it's, it is significantly different uh, just because of the secret sources that we have running uh, on the back end. Okay. Um, but it's also just very simple. It's, I mean, if you look at the, the fact that you get, a, you get a, a call to your mobile app and then you're now faced with the fact that somebody's signing into your account. So we, we kind of, um, we play up the whole opportunity of emotional intelligence. So, example, Ravi, if somebody was to break in your account and you were just notified, there would be a heightened sense of anxiety, um, and then we ask you to confirm if it's you or not. So we rely on the fact that you've, A, identified the attack in real time, but if it's not you, you simply just go ahead and hit the red button, and that's a pretty accurate outcome of the fact that someone's breaking into your account. Now, what happens is that our platform supersedes any machine learning algorithm, any predictive modeling uh, where there could be a false positive outcome. Um, in our case, your, your heart is heartbeat or heart rate is just elevated a little bit, your eyes dilate because of the fact that someone's breaking in and you see the fact that you can disable the attack in real time. So that's true empowerment, uh, both from a user experience, but we also rely on the fact that because of your response, it's gonna be far more accurate than any machine. Yeah. Um, because why would you want an attacker to get into your account? Yeah. Right. That's amazing that you framed that. You t you see, you're you're framing it like this is an improvement for people. 
to have. It's a very significant improvement mm. for, for, for users. Now, when I say that, I, I want to be careful um, that I'm not being um, misunderstood. A lot of our very respected competitors are somewhat operating this space. There's some very significant differences between what we do and what they do. Uh, of course, I'm very biased, so I'm yeah, going to say that ours is way better. <laughs> and I encourage anyone to come and check us out and, 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 and uh, understand yeah. what it is that we do. Um, but we, we actually started this entire journey with the user in mind. Mm. Uh, and the user being the, whether it's an employee, an executive, or, or even a customer. And um, we, it was deliberately built so it could be very intuitive to use. Of course, now, if I see a message on my phone and I've got a deny or a cancel or a go ahead or a confirm, um, that's very intuitive to use. Mm. So in the case okay. of me signing into my account and I get a call, um, yep, I'm just going to go ahead and hit the green button and it's go. And if somebody's trying to break into my account, I'm now empowered to actually prevent and disable the attacker from getting into my account, period. Now that, again, applies for both employee, so network, so think of enterprise, um, but also customer facing as well. So we're very excited with what we've got. We're, uh, we, we are uh, B2B first, so we, we provide our services to large organizations, enterprises, um, but we also pride ourselves on the fact that we make it B2B2C. So mm. we'll work with example, um, um, I'll use a bank just because it's easy to reference, but we'll, we'll work with the bank, we'll make it available for their entire employee base. And if they like it so much, which we hope they do, then we can make it available to their tens or uh, you know, large amount of customers yeah. in the millions. Yeah. So this then becomes available to their customer base. So think of online banking, digital banking, mobile banking, money movement, payments, um, so, uh, etc. So TD just launched his own um, uh, sort of service like this for just for the banking app? Right, so, um, yes, go on. Yeah, so would that be a proprietary service that they would build themselves? Like, uh, Canadian banks are a little bit larger than uh, most banks, or maybe in the US, definitely there'll be a market in the banking. Yeah. W but w I'm trying to gauge, like, who your ideal client is. Like. So our ideal clients, and I'll, I'll kind of address it with a very diplomatic response, and it's, it's not diplomatic because I'm trying to, uh, bullshit my way around, but anyone that actually captures or stores any private information from small startups to mid-sized to large enterprises, global enterprises, uh, our application can protect everyone. And the way we've got it configured and we, the way we've built it from ground up, it's very easily scalable mm. uh, with no impact to service or, or, or delivery. So how would startups use this? Is, would, it, would they buy it for like their own internal a yeah, usage for their yeah. apps, like what are the use cases? Yeah, so let me give you an example. So if it's a, a startup of uh, four, five, or even 10, uh, we actually have a public mobile, uh, sorry, public facing mobile app so they can use ours. They can brand it, white label it as their own. Uh, so the larger the organization then will provide their mobile SDK so they can actually embed it into their mobile app. Uh, but yes, it's available for startups uh, all the way to your international uh, behemoths out there. Uh, in the in the terms of the question that you asked earlier, uh, referencing the Canadian bank, um, so they can, a lot of the a lot of the large industry players they often outsource or they procure those services from from companies like us. Mm -hmm. So you will go through a round of um, 
due diligence, um, we'll scope out a project, we'll maybe uh, even do a pilot or a proof of concept, prove that it works and then mm -hmm. we'll, we'll build in the SLA and then stand up a, a, a full-term contract on that. But it's very seldom that uh, large organizations or even any organization uh, build their own. Only because it takes away from really the what they're line, doing. Yeah, of course. Right. So their focus is providing a service. Why are we deviating and doing something uh, that's taking our time, attention, and resources away when we can procure it? So they'll come to companies like us uh, and our lovely competitors yeah. to, uh, to 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 use the services. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, if you want to learn more about this, this um, app that you provide, part of your SDK. Yeah. Right. Um, is it like you download it from the app store and you reset it up or you get you have to make your own app and hard load it to each individual phone? Yeah, so if it's, um, if it's a small company, yeah. um, they can just go out onto, uh, onto their uh, mobile marketplace stores and just download the IMI authentication app. Um, and then they would just set up their account with us on the back end. Um, and then they have- a web login or- Sorry? Is it a web login or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a web login, yeah. Okay. So they would essentially access the, uh, the portal uh, and then is get- it through the website? Yes, admin it is. Login? In fact, yeah. if you just, yeah, if you just hit the admin login um, and then- Yeah, you want to hit the admin login. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, if you just click on that, then you just basically uh, sign in and then cleverly, uh, you would authenticate using our application to get access into the account. Of course, right? We're an authentication mm -hmm. company. So you would get access to your portal, uh, you can configure your logo, your brand, your colors, and then use the um, public facing um, IMI authentication app for your business. Mm. The larger the organization, and certainly if they have their own mobile app, we would then, once the account's set up at, at, a, at, a, at a large enterprise account level, uh, we would then provide them the mobile SDK that they can just code it into their own app as well. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, like two, last year, no, actually two years now, almost two years ago, mm -hmm. I was working with the company, shout out to Tornet. And um, part of it, what ran into our, 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 um, our pipeline were these two companies, biomedical companies, right. uh, in working in Toronto, were very sensitive data, right? And uh, they got hacked, right. a ransomware attack. Right. Uh, I talked about earlier in another episode as well. So what happened was somebody sent an email um, from the CEO's email, but I think I talked to you about this actually, right? And they used two dots instead of one dot between the names, Correct. sent it to the person, uh, sent a bunch of PDFs, three engineers opened it up, yep. hacked, their, hacked their work computer, and they shut it off right. and uh, deactivated their network. And then part of their, part of their data they can't, couldn't re recover. Right. And ransomware. They, they asked for X amount of dollars to open right. it. Right. And they came to a company like ours, which is a dev shop, um, and it was a, a dev shop that not like, specialized in cybersecurity mm -hmm. for help. And we did, they, we did our best, but at the end of the day, we're limited, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like you were mentioning before, and the capabilities of what, what can be done. Right. And uh, something like this would be very, would have, been, would have prevented something like that. Actually, yes. So <laughs> I, I don't want to be brazen and, and, and make a bold statement, but truth is, if you're, so let me kind of walk you through the example that would, uh, of what you just explained. Mm. So yes, very often you'll find very clever ways. Ooh, ooh. There we go. <laughs> See, there we go. Just got hacked. Yeah. So you'll find, can we adjust this chair? Yeah, it's like a it? weird knob on the left hand side. Is it? You have to like push it in. It's like right in the front. Oh, here? Side. Side. Nope. Lay all the down. Other 
Yeah, there we go. That one. Okay, sorry about that, guys. Yeah. We'll do we'll do post production cut. <laughs> Me falling over. All right. So that's in the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we go back to that example um, where you 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 talked about how the CEO's uh, email was slightly modified, right? So we so those are one of many examples. Could be a an, a one instead of an I, or could be a double dot. So it's very subtle. How would it work in that kind of sense where you get an email, right. and you open a PDF? Like, do you have to authenticate yourself? Like, how would that communicate like Gmail, like G Suite? Yeah. So I'll, I'll walk you through that example. So an email comes in. There's a payload in in an attachment or a document, typically a macro based payload. Um, you click on it, and when you click on it, it basically detonates. Or sorry, it releases the payload. Yeah, okay. Right. So payload's now sitting. Depending on how hackers or threat actors have actually got it configured, it can immediately detonate and and shut down the machine. Start worming its way into the network. Obviously, that laptop is connected to the to the corporate network. What we have then is, if you think of if you think of what I mentioned earlier uh, in, in the reference of the house being broken in, right? You want to get from the basement to the middle floor, to the ground floor, to the top floor, then maybe to the, to the loft. And really the, the upstairs is really where, where the crown jewels are kept. But you've got you've to actually climb elevated or gain elevated levels of access. So let me kind of relay that over to a corporate network. So um, let's say somebody in sales and marketing receives a, um, a payload or a Trojan or a malware-based email. But ultimately, it's the uh, lead architect or the CTO or, or someone in security, perhaps even security, I don't know. But somebody else has an elevated level of access into the digital crown jewels. So what the hacker does is that they'll, they'll get in, they'll monitor, and then they'll find out that Ravi's got elevated credential access privilege level access, now let me go and use his credentials, and then they start making their way around. So they basically are bouncing from individuals to individuals using the, using the different levels of logging oh, credentials. Oh, okay, I see. Now, so it won't prevent the actual detonation. Correct. But what it gets out of it. Well, it, it, it would restrict. The usage. The, the ability, but when you move from, let's say, Mick to Ravi, and Ravi's got elevated uh, credential access, well, when somebody signs in as you into a digital application, gotcha, gotcha. you would get the call and you would see that there's somebody signing in. Gotcha. So as soon as you hit deny on the mobile app, um, we then jump on it and we do a whole ton of other stuff that none of our competitors do. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but then immediately uh, you're able to then start restricting and, and monitoring and cleaning up the, the network. So effectively, you're able to kick out the hacker and prevent then the ultimate ransomware. Because if you look at what happens with ransomware, the main strains of ransomware actually require an attacker to get into a particular application or, or a database to actually then go ahead and encrypt it. And those are the main strains. And, and I'm, using the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it in that way because you must appreciate that while these hackers are really, really fucking clever and, and really masterful at what they do, it's always evolving, right? So today I could be talking about, you know, let's just say as an example, the 10 main strains of ransomware, we can prevent it. But later on, six months, 18 months, 24, 36 months down the road, 
the the capabilities of attacks and ransomwares would would get ever more so elevated mm. that there will be new ways of locking up a network or, or or a db or a server no this has been fascinating yeah so if if in the example then a hacker moves off my credentials and, and jumps onto yours to get access into a mm. particular area or, or repository of data you will get the code you'll be able to disable it we jump on and a whole new level of security kicks in and we're able to then squeeze the attacker out of the network. So how targeted is your response? Like, do you actually respond to every like no that's been uh, hit? Like, yeah, so we capture a lot of the activities. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say we, we um, for large organizations especially, we have a whole new um, level of security on the back end as well that we bring to the table. Cool. So their um, um, security operating center, SOC, or, um, and even SIM, um, security incidents event management teams mm. can jump in and actually then see live uh, transactions, live activities as well. What happens, and let me, let me draw on very quickly why that's valuable. So what happens today, most often, and we are seeing this time and time again, is how many times have we heard in the, in, in the news headlines that uh, a company has just made a press release that they got breached, but upon investigation, they were breached six months ago, last year, 12, uh, 24 months ago. We hear that all too often. With what we have is we're able to put a spotlight instantly on a pending attack or an attempted attack, and we're able to then ha throw in a whole level of um, uh, solutions and capabilities to then eventually squeeze the attacker out of the network. Cool. Yeah, I, mean, I think so too. It's kind of like having an alarm system for your company. Uh, it's better than having yeah. an alarm system for the company, and yeah. only because um, alarm systems can be uh, cut off. Yep. Yeah. Now, we we use our own solution to protect ourselves as well. That's right. So yeah. we're self-preservating um, in that in that sense. Mm. Um, but um, it's 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 very difficult to to overcome. Having said that. Mm -hmm. Let me also in, uh, reinforce, uh, reinforce the point that you never say never in security. And we certainly are not in a position at any time to say, yeah, under IMI, an attack would never happen. Um, because of the very fact that hackers actually evolve at light speed that we can only dream of in the regulated framework model that we live in, right? Um, but we are very aware of external base uh, threat actors, so whether it's a hack from the outside of the network or a station, uh, station, sorry, nation state uh, sponsored attack. But we also have hackers on the inside too, yeah. threat actors on the inside. Uh, and employees just got pissed off with their boss. And, uh, and, and there's a variety of reasons, not just one model or one fr um, um, uh, framework. But uh, somebody all of a sudden could just decide, you know what, fuck it, I'm mm. now gonna. Um, I'm not having a good day and this company's treating me badly or I just got fired and now I'm going to go ahead and do the, uh, the breach. I'm going to go ahead and take data and we've seen that all too often. We saw that most recently with Capital One uh, a few months ago, um, uh, summer of last year, where a former employee um, contracted um, had access to uh, Amazon servers uh, and DBs and signed back in and um, yeah, went to town. <laughs> so. There are threat actors everywhere, inside yeah. and outside. And we, we, we're, we're very mindful of um, 
not overusing the term hacker because it, it can imply many different things. But when we use the term threat actors, it encompasses or it includes um, external facing actors as well as internal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are, it's, it's fighting crime. Yeah. Right, and crime will never end. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a cool way of putting it. Um, fighting crime, I mean, I love it. Like the fact mm -hmm. that uh, especially you work with small organizations is amazing. We work with a lot of startups and I'm pretty sure they would benefit from this. I would love to do a few to a few. We'd love, like to, a, love to work with them. Yeah, I mean, um, do you have a price point for these companies? Like, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're, we are modifying our uh, price uh, plan right now, but yeah. we're, we're gonna make it compelling yeah. for startups to use, incredibly compelling. Awesome. Um, but then of course, you know, the larger the company, um, uh, obviously there's a price, but we are very competitively priced. I think uh, even all the way down from a small startup, all the way up to a large international. Is it, is it a tier base based off of a group of people? Okay. Yeah, so it's tier based. And if anyone in the industry uh, is looking for the right term, it's a SaaS model, Yeah. right? So there we go. So it's a license Yeah, per so SaaS user. model could be like per individual user. Correct, per user, per license, per per. So yours is model. per license? Yes. Per person? Yeah. Okay. And it's unlimited uh, authentication. So you scale as you scale the company? Correct. Versus, yeah. Correct. So, you know, uh, let's just say uh, a startup of 50 employees all of a sudden um, moves from 50 to 200, uh, hits unicorn level, uh, then has multi-million uh, endpoint users, customers. Yeah, we can service them all. Not a problem. Amazing. Yeah. This is awesome. This has been a really eye-opening uh, episode. I, I knew it was going to be. Um, thank you for going down this rabbit hole with me, like, yeah, as yeah, I put it. <laughs> but I feel like we could have gone into a lot more, lot more stuff. Uh, hopefully you come back and share some more advice with us. I would love to. I yeah. would love to jump. I'd, I'd love to come back again and uh, talk about maybe specific areas of security or uh, anything that you, you, you're inquisitive to learn on. Awesome. Thank you, Mick. Thank you so awesome. much. Cheers. Yeah.